this is Justin Haley driving the number 31 College Racing Chevrolet in the NASCAR Cup Series. Hey guys, this is Sheldon Creed, driver of the number two wheel in Chevrolet for RCI Race. Hey everybody, this is Adam Alexander from NASCAR on Fox. This is Sam Air. You're listening to the You're listening to the Front Stretch Podcast with Brian and Brian Moore. Another edition of the Front Trips Podcast with LeBron on the week of March the 20th, 2023. And don't worry, Ford fans, Ford is back on top at least for one week. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Another edition, another week of this fantastic program. We got Jared Haas and Mr. Big Haas. Again, I'm coming on. We're going to be recapping Atlanta. We're going to be previewing the first road course of the season, a circuit of the Americas. We got a spectacular guest on hand for this week. We got Jordan Anderson from uh, Jordan Anderson Racing. Dalton Hopkins had an extensive interview with him, so we're going to play that for you in its entirety. So without further ado, Let's wave this green flag and kick things off, guys. Buggity, buggity, buggity. Let's go racing, boys. Green flag is out. God, that always can make me laugh. Deep in the heart of Texas. Wait, no, deep in the heart. No, uh, oh, yes, he lives in Arkansas now. Deep in the, I don't know, is Little Rock deep in Arkansas, Jared? Or or is it on the edge? In the middle of the state, yes, oh, okay. it is. So in the, the middle of Arkansas, Mr. Jared Haas joins the program. Mr. Haas, how you doing, brother? I am doing pretty good. Um, like I said, we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I've been busy behind the scenes, and like I said, it's been pretty interesting. Had a NASCAR mailbox that a lot of people watched and read. Love it. I absolutely love it. I do watch these YouTube videos of NASCAR mail bag. You do every single week and if you haven't watched it well check out our front trips youtube channels and you can go to nascar mailbox on our little created playlist he's got three of them you can press that and boom 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 you have the latest from mr jared haas not not too shabby of uh some some uh viewers is victory lane chevy bow ties only i think jared we answered that question this past sunday so let's dive into it right now we'll get back into the xfinity stuff we'll get back into some other stuff a little bit later but let's dive in to this race in the atl for the longest stretch of the entire season they went five for five they went four for four i apologize chevy 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 it was not going to be a chevy weekend from qualifying one through eight all fords domination by mr joseph logano the defending champion he leads over 130 laps, and he gets forward their first win of the season. Before we get to talk about that style of racing, Jared, were you surprised by Mr. Logano dominating at Atlanta? I think I'm surprised the fact that the fastest car won that day. True. And that's almost never the case with these super speedway races. Um, Logano proved again and again that he led the field. And when push came to shove, he made a pretty impressive pass around Brad Keselowski. Um, Brad Kozlowski didn't expect that momentum that was coming from Joey Logano and Logano passed him on the high side. He kind of did what Corey LaJoy couldn't do in the last Atlanta race around Chase Elliott. So pretty impressive for the 22 team. And they finally got the monkey off their back of where are these blue ovals back? Well, boy, did they show up this weekend. Logano leading five times for 140 laps. But I want to talk about a guy that you mentioned in Brad Kozlowski. It really feels like Keselowski, and, and even though his performance doesn't show it, Chris Buescher as well, RFK has definitely turned the corner, and it looks like it could be a fixture for for days and months and even years to come. And it feels like like the teardown with Jeff and Jordan we're talking about on, on this past Sunday on their latest edition. If Keselowski continues to keep running well, getting these top fives, getting these top tens, finishing second, I know it stings right now, Jared, but more times than not, he is going to end up in victory lane. And it's going to be sooner rather than later if he continues this stretch of good runs. I'm impressed by what I've seen out of the six car so far, Jared. 
Brad Kozlowski is a proven winner. He's already won a championship. He's won multiple races. And 2022 was uh, kind of more of a rebuilding of sorts, making it from more of that Roush Fenway racing to RFK racing. So there was going to be the stumbles, and they didn't really have the best of success. Yes, Chris Buescher won at Bristol last year, but it seemed like Kozlowski was the weaker car of the two. Um, Busher wrecked out, obviously, Atlanta, but Kozlowski still had a strong run, led 47 laps. And, I mean, that's pretty impressive for the six-car in Team Kozlowski. And they're still looking for, I mean, they had the stat that showed up on the broadcast. It's been, what, 419 races since the number six car won. Yeah. But, I mean, Kozlowski is the best shot to win. I mean, he's one of the best drivers that's been there since, you know, probably, you could probably argue Mark Martin. But it's, it can be frustrating with the Kozlowski. He knows that type of caliber that he has of, being a top tier driver winning these type of races but it's just taking a step back and realizing Kozlowski is still building his team RFK racing they'll probably eventually come with those wins it's just obviously you want the first one to just kind of roll up like that and not have any issues like the last lap that Kozlowski did Jared Come into this weekend with a sense of unknown. Sure, we've had two races at Atlanta, and both of them have been, I, I like to call them fun size compared to regular size candy bars, as in Daytona Talladega. This is like a fun size one, kind of like you get at Halloween. Um, For the first two stages, it was basically nothing. It was dull. They're all riding the high side. And then the third stage, people kind of went and and they actually raced. Um, where What impression did you get from this? type of race did you enjoy it was it too was it just not enough action just what were your overall thoughts on the race itself and how it played out for you well you mentioned the cup series race i think we got to add a little bit more context on why the race was more calm you look at the truck series and xfinity race that happened yeah. yesterday oh yeah i mean especially that xfinity race ran really long so the cup drivers were really cautious on not trying to wreck those cars trying to win the race on lap 10. So the racing is kind of a struggle of where there's not really a third groove to pass. Once you get these cars side by side, it's basically a big old traffic jam because you don't have enough speed to pass someone unless you have really amazing grip. But, you know, there's not enough where that space is that somebody can create a third lane, shoot through the middle and try to make a pass for the lead. It's kind of more of that follow the leader mentality of like well we got to ride here we got to push that person in front of us and i think christopher bell said he was like yeah i mean i lost that race you know not even coming to the checkered flag it was a few corners before that so with that type of mentality it's tough um i think folks were looking back to more of that old atlanta if they were looking for a repave where you have cars battling side by side you might have one lap where the inside lane does better and then all of a sudden the guy on the outside lane gets a better run I think people are missing that. It's more of that nostalgic point, but the racing overall, we'll have to see with how the track ages. I know that's going to be one of my NASCAR mailbox questions Ooh. is tackling the age of the track of when will it return to its old glory. But for now, it, it is basically a glorified super speedway. But let's give it a few more summers in that Atlanta summer days and see how that how that track bakes. Because once you have that track baking for a little bit, you're going to lose a lot less grip. And it's going to be a lot harder to be full throttle. Jared, I just found this stat, and you mentioned the Xfinity race. Um, the Cup Series, they ran 260 laps, and it took them two hours and 53 minutes. The Xfinity Series ran 163 laps, and it was two hours and 44 minutes. 97 more laps by the cup series and only nine extra minutes between the two if that doesn't say uh something about how well the cup series ran compared to the xfinity boys i i don't know what does because that's a big old oof um in 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 today's lingo with that being said jared let's dive into the xfinity um series because there there's some news that happened kind of on the track kind of off the track I really don't know how you wanted to to uh, describe that Josh Williams gets in an earlier incident has to come onto pit road puts bear bond onto his car now keep in mind this was a very very cool day only about 44 degrees so very very cold temperatures in the ATL it comes back onto the track the bear bond comes off they wave the caution flag for debris NASCAR tower tells Williams okay 
It's time to call it a day. You cause a caution. Williams says, you know what? Screw you guys. He parks his car on the start finish line, Jared, and then walks out and gives a nice wave to the official. I don't know if it was at the, in the tower or the grant or the, uh, the flag man. Um, but then he, he went over and uh, talked with the NASCAR official looked like Regan Smith or uh, Wendy Venturini from PRM was trying to talk with him. NASCAR official said, no, he has to go to the infield care center. They went straight from the infield care center all the way to the NASCAR hall, did not allow him to talk to any of the media until after the race. So Josh Williams with some pizza had to sit and watch that just absolute dumpster fire. I'm not going to sugarcoat it because it was bad, Jared, an absolute dumpster fire of a race. Um, I've never seen that before. Some, a guy parking his car on the start finish line during caution, getting out of it. And it's not because of it being wrecked and just getting out of it and saying, screw you guys. Have you ever seen anything like this? It is very like the Antonio Brown incident where he quit in the middle of the field, but Josh Williams was already being parked by NASCAR. And it was kind of more about left field. I look back at an incident that happened in the 2021 Daytona 500. Remember, there was the big one in the in the first 15 laps where multiple cars were involved. William Byron had a bumper flapping in the wind and was being black flagged by NASCAR. Before you know it, his bumper fell off. Quinn Hoff and Chase Briscoe were involved in an accident. Both of their days were ruined. William Byron did not get parked for that situation, obviously, two years ago, but... They made mention of what the why he was parked. I believe it was in the rule book of 8.8.9 section I. And it says NASCAR officials can park a team if they extended a caution period as a result of insufficient repairs. Understandably, there it's with these damaged vehicle policies. It puts teams in a box where you know we have to hurry up and get these repairs done within the certain time frame. And especially with the cold weather, Atlanta was not that. It wasn't hot Atlanta. It was cold Atlanta. Didn't really get really above like 50 degrees. So Barabon was a lot harder to stick on there. And was Barabon that was on the track wasn't like sheet metal. So I understand Josh Williams' frustration. And Josh, he's a very friendly guy. If you go up to the garage, he's probably one of the friendliest, genuine person that I've talked to. He just enjoys racing. You know, this is his lifestyle and he really enjoys it. So it, it seems like it's out left field, but Josh Williams has a lot in stake in here and having NASCAR where he felt like was parking him for kind of more of a bogus reason. I understand this frustration and it was weird how scuttled he was off from basically post-race. I mean, even our own Dalton Hopkins was trying to get in contact, trying to get the interview with L with him. And he was put in the Xfinity hauler until the end of the race. And his car was still there even after Josh left the uh, hauler. So it was a really long day for Mario Goslin's team and Josh Williams itself. Um, like I said, the bright side is, even though it might be bad press for that, he still got a lot of social media attention. But it kind of more was out of left field of why NASCAR decided to park Josh Williams. As it wasn't really extending the caution period, it was creating a new one. But understandably super speedway racing you don't want parts flying off but you want to make sure parts are together and teams are put in that box jared stay right there my friend when we come back we're going to be playing our interview right after this don hoppers of frontstretch.com and i'm here with jordan anderson the owner of jordan anderson racing jordan it's been six months since what happened at Talladega, uh, you know, that big incident that occurred and the world just kind of seemed to stop turning. The NASCAR world, I want to say, kind of stopped turning as they saw what happened. But first off, you look great. I talked to you in Daytona and you look like, you look, it's as if nothing really happened. But I really wanted to go back and talk to you about your recovery since. So first, take you back to that incident, take you back to that race. What happened in that moment? I want to say it was turn one. When you what what, what did what first happened when you realized something was wrong? Yeah, probably deep down, uh, my my first instinct was to be upset because we were running so good that day. You know, it was a, a big weekend for us. I, I hadn't run. You know, I think that was my fourth or fifth race in the truck I'd run that year. So having limited opportunities, you want to make the most of it. And we showed up, qualified top ten, and we were running fourth at the time. And had a really really fast truck and just was trying to take our time and be smart, patient throughout the race and. Uh, lost oil pressure and I just could tell I was losing power and, and 
tell I was getting ready to lose the draft. So, you know, in my mind, I'm preparing to get down the apron, trying to get out of the way, but not knowing what was happening, whether it was, you know, mechanical, motor, oil, you don't know what's going to happen when you get down the corner. So you don't know whether you're going to spin out, catch fire, wreck, or you just slowly come to a stop. So kind of prepared for anything. But uh, saw the fire at the floorboard when it first happened and didn't think anything of it. Just kept going, slowing down, get out of the way. And the next thing I knew, it was like, man, it's, it's getting hot. And um, there's, you know, sitting here talking about it, we can talk about it for five or ten minutes, but it happened so quick. But at the time, it felt like time really kind of slowed down a little bit. So um, as the fire was coming up, uh, I could see it first, and then I started to feel it. And it was like, man, it's it's getting hot. It's getting real hot. i got to get out of here. And uh, that's why I think you probably go back and watch. You'll see me actually kind of pop up first when it was still in the banking. And uh, that was just, just needed to get a, a break from it. Um, because in my head, I'm like, you know, whatever, whatever's outside this truck is better than just sitting here inside of it, just because it just, racing my whole life, I mean, I've run over 100 truck races, uh, and never had anything like that, you know, as a racer, we know that danger and fire and all that stuff is potentially there, but we just try to block it out, not think about it, and um, it's kind of one of those things that as it happened, it didn't seem real, like it was happening, but in my head, I'd almost blocked it out that it wasn't happening, and then it was like the real moment of like, fire is so hot that it's going to force me out of this truck and um it's just crazy to think back about it just because i just never never thought about it or felt or experienced anything like that to to that nature but it just got so hot in there that it was just unbearable and i and i usually have a pretty good pain tolerance i mean i've knocked my front 16th are fake i've broken my kneecap to a rotator cuff broke my wrist fingers toes arm you name it i mean i've got probably uh 14 15 bones i've broken and just growing up doing bmx and um, you know, just being a little bit of a daredevil growing up, I, I had plenty of injuries, but never gotten burned to that extent. And the amount of pain that was was just uh, was just nuts. So you know, that's why after the, this whole thing happened, my you know feeling for empathy for for burn victims is just I just can't imagine. You know, I had just a, a taste of you know my arm and my neck and face. People that get you know their body and legs and big parts of their stuff burned. It just I, I can't imagine it. Just um, you know, thinking back on that whole thing, as it as it was going on, you know, you, you got to think about the fact that there's 30 trucks behind you at that point. So I started going, and you actually see at one point um, when the truck veered back to the right, to the left, steering wheel was already off at that point because I'd already tried to come out. So there was no there was no steering, um, but I knew I needed to get slowed down and get out of there because when I first popped up, I'm like I'm going too fast. So that's when I went back in and jabbed the brakes as hard as I could, and it turned left, right, and just. By the grace of God, nobody hit me, um, you know, because I came literally right back up in front of the field. And um, thinking back on that deal, I just I could kind of see where I was going. I couldn't see out the front, but I could see out in the left because the window net was down. So as it's coming back to the infield, I'm like, you know what? If I can aim toward the wall and be here ready to go out, that's probably my my best bet. So I like I knew where I was. I knew kind of where I was going, and, and the plan was just to try to be close to getting out. So I didn't want to get trapped because I knew the backstretch wall at Talladega was pretty tall. The back backstretch wall and a lot of these tracks are pretty tall. I just didn't want to get to the point where I was up against the wall pinned in it. So I was like, I'm just going to sit here on the edge. And you know, I wish I could say that I was that coordinated that way. It ejected me out of there. I landed right in between the safety barriers. Because you got to think, though, with safer walls, there's probably four feet in between each foam barrier. And when I came out of the truck, I landed right on top of one. And thank God it wasn't in the middle of one or sideways or something. So uh, just that whole thing. And I kind of go back to thinking what... You know, my father-in-law Larry said that more right went wrong in that whole situation out of the truck. That certainly could have been a lot worse, a lot of a lot of different scenarios. I, I find it really funny that you mentioned all of these these wild injuries that you've gotten. You called yourself the you know uh, you called, I, I like to think of it as like a stuntman. Yeah. Like you, you just like you're, you did all these you know all this crazy extreme sports stuff. And you mentioned BMXing, but have you looked back? Did like you said you didn't even notice that you were climbing out while it was moving, was that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, just jumping out of it wasn't, right. that seemed better than sitting in the truck. Yeah, the it, 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 I, in my mind I was like, that's pure adrenaline when I first saw that. Yeah. But I also have to think, that's like stuntman stuff. Have you looked back, what was your reaction when you looked back and you realized that thing was still moving towards the wall as you were getting out of the truck? Yeah, that was... So I'm in the hospital, and, and it's that whole kind of scenario as everything was happening. I remember 
I remember climbing on the back of the truck, and it's funny how you remember little things like this. So I'm on the wall, and I'm still, I mean, you talk about the adrenaline just had to be through the roof at this point, and I'm on the wall walking to the back of the truck, and I almost stepped on the back of the truck to go over it, and like in that split second, I was like, no, I don't want to mess the truck up, so I'm going to walk along the wall so I don't step on my deck, the deck lid and mess it up. So right. it's like the racer and owner of me coming out like, truck's already messed up enough, I don't want to make it worse. But you can see when I jumped down to the ground, everything just kind of like overwhelming, like just felt like my whole body was just on fire. And that's when I went to my knees. And I remember the group of doctors that were first to me uh, on the back stretch. Um, I forget her name, the first doctor that was to me with NASCAR, but she was fantastic talking me through the whole thing. You know, hey, we're going to cut your suit off. You're going to be all right. The ambulance is coming. We're going to get you out of here. And just remember that. I remember waking up in the care center because I was kind of touch and go there for a little while in the care center and uh, they were kind of evaluating everything and the worst part about it was is it felt like everything was really hot but the face burn was the worst. It was real bad on my neck, they got my cheeks, <coughs> my nose, my lips, all that stuff so it just felt like this was on fire and of course at the time they didn't know what other injuries I had so I had a neck brace on and they had the oxygen on me and that's they've got to have those things on there but that's where the most pain was was around my neck and that where the neck brace was there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on and thankfully they, they gave me an IV and I kind of got some relief there and I remember getting going out to the helicopter in the helicopter and um, I had I had to when I met the pilot of the helicopter I actually met him in the NASCAR summit back in January and him and I got to share a laugh out of this because I was maybe a little bit stubborn on the way to the, air, or not to the airport, but you know, to the hospital there where the landing pad is, because they wanted to keep the oxygen and neck brace on me, and I tried to take it off, take this off, and they, I think they juiced up my IV a little bit and had me go to sleep, because the next thing I knew, I remember waking up in the hospital, and um, I woke up in the, um, uh, what's the, what's the tube they roll you in, um, I forget what it was they were checking out, but they rolled me in there to run a couple scans, and I remember coming out of there, kind of coming to a little bit, and the first thing I asked for was like, hey, somebody show me what happened. I want to see the, the replay of it. So, I mean, I can go back, and I've watched, I've searched YouTube and TikTok for all the different angles and Twitter and Facebook to find different shots and videos. I found a couple people from the grandstands that posted it. Just, it's just kind of surreal going back and watching, but for me, I mean, the way I look at it, it's watching it doesn't bother me because I just feel very blessed and thankful that I'm here today and things weren't worse because um, could have gone a different way, could have been a lot worse. I mean, you know, being able to stand here today, I've got a couple marks, you know, on my neck and still got them up my arm and a couple of places there. But, um, you know, all things considered, just very thankful that the healing process was as good as it was. And I mean, I a lot of credit to um, you know, my wife. She was there. Thankfully, she was there that weekend. She actually hadn't planned to be there, but she was there at the track. And um, her work gave her, you know, she took three weeks off of work and, you know, took care of me there at the house. And that process, it started there at the hospital where they got to scrub the burns, scrub them real good, get everything out of there. And then we had to continue that process for another week of every day, scrubbing the burns, cleaning it, putting the topical solution on there and trying to keep everything clean. And that was probably <coughs> the worst part was the aftermath. Like, you know, during the moment, the burns and everything was there, but the week after was the that pain was the worst because then it got to the healing process of you know not to get too too gruesome but then it's like all right the skin's starting to come off and you've got to pull it off and then it starts to bubble up you've got to pop it pull that off so i mean it was a lot of trips to the hospital to get that stuff taken care of but, um, the worst part about the whole thing was they told me like you got to get back shaving so like i got third degree burns on my neck everywhere and they're like two days later like you need to start shaving so you don't get ingrown hairs on stuff so Going through that, even getting in the shower, you know, water touching the burns, all that stuff. I mean, it just, I guess, in my my empathy and respect for people that go through burns like that, that are have so much more. I mean, I just can't imagine. I'm just thankful that it's over. Don't have to do that anymore. But I think a lot of hopefully good came out of it in our sport because it was uh, kind of heightened our awareness of the potential of fires. You've seen some of the stuff with on the cup side, you know, the rockers and stuff catching on fire there. You just don't ever know what could happen. I mean, that's the thing that. We as racers somehow have happened is like oh that'll never happen or there's no way i mean i saw somebody posting a video of uh <clears throat> steve grissom's crash from here back in like 96 97 when he backed in the inside wall 
and his fuel cell came out and fire everywhere. Like, who would have thought he'd hit the wall at that angle? Or Gordon, when he had that crash in Vegas where he hit that opening. Like, mm -hmm. there's so many weird spots in racing that sometimes things could happen that we don't think will ever happen. But now they've gone to, you know, mandating that all the drivers have to wear the, the head sock or the, the helmet skirt and have the under, underwear, you know. Everybody on Twitter went crazy, like, oh, the driver's not wearing underwear. It's like, not your, not your boxers, but, like, you know, your, your undershirt, the long pants, the fireproof socks, all that stuff. And, you know, thankfully that day I had the fireproof socks on. I had the fireproof undershirt on. I had a, a half skirt on my helmet. I didn't have the whole skirt, and that's where it got to, to my neck right there. But, you know, I've been racing my whole life and never had that issue until that moment. And it's like now, you know, hopefully me going through all that will help prevent some other driver down the road from having to deal through that. Because, you know, racers, I won't say we're a little stubborn, but hopefully that opened up some, some of our eyes to like, hey, this stuff can can potentially happen. So, you know, if what happened there keeps somebody else safe down the road, I'm, I'm all for it. So, you know, that's that's kind of cool to see. But the whole thing was a free deal. You know, everybody, it was between people thought different things, but a piece of debris came off the racetrack and, and slit that main oil line in the front of the Elmore motor. And you got to think you've got a gallon of oil in the oil cooler, another three, four gallons in the oil tank. And so you got five, six gallons of oil dumping on the headers on the right side. All that fire coming out, came out of the wheel well. And then on the speedways, we run windows on the right side of the trucks. Had a NACA duck right at the right front that uh, had a hose pointed at me for fresh air, which during the race was great. But when you got fire coming out of the right, right front, it was like a vacuum that turned into, uh, you know, basically a torch pointed right at me that came in the right side and then it came out and escaped out the driver window which is crazy like you look at the window net how torched it was and you could see where the fire came in and it all was going over me burned the seat burned everything on the left side so just crazy how it all went down but you know hindsight looking at it all just just very thankful to be here and, and you know have a story to tell about it you know as a driver as my kind of career has taken the path of progressing more into the owner role you know, I can really appreciate how important it is to keep my drivers safe now with Jeb and Parker out there racing now. I mean, I get on our interior guys from everything from seats to where we put our roll bar padding to our fire bottles to what our drivers wear. I mean, Impact Racing Products has been with me. I've been wearing their stuff since 2008 and will wear their stuff for the rest of my life and my driver will because the stuff did what it was supposed to do. I mean, I was in that car for 25, 26 seconds. That stuff's really, really only rated for 15, 16 seconds. So it went above and beyond that kept my body safe looking at where I had burns in the suit. You know, I had the suit up there at PRI and it was pretty cool impact, stitched it back together where they cut it out and seeing how hot it got in some areas where I didn't really even have any burns, I was like, man, I'm pretty thankful for that. So how, how hot did it get? Uh, it got very hot. I you know, I don't know exactly the temperature that was in there, but you know, there were certain parts of the suit that just stuff was melting off of it, but it didn't penetrate through the suit. So it was, it was pretty pretty cool to look at. So how long were you in the hospital for? Just that night. Um, yeah. I think um, I got released. It was probably midnight that night. And you know, that's where the cool part of our sport comes out is Larry and Linda, Kendall's parents, had flown oh! down there. Oh, shit! <laughs> flown down there. They're watching the truck race in and, there. And uh, so we had this thing going on to where they flew down there and came to the hospital that night and they were down there. My dad was there. Kendall was there. It's always something here at, at the racetrack. Oh, yeah. Have truck race. Something happened in the truck race. So, yeah. um, anyway, where I was going, I lost my train of thought. Oh, oh, so what happened was we're in, we're in the hospital. Midnight. Larry and Linda flew down there. My dad was there. Kendall was there. And what was pretty crazy is John Bomarito, Chuck Wallace, were at the Petite Maman at Road Atlanta. Mm -hmm. They got in the plane, flew to Alabama. Uh, Brandon, my brother-in-law, was spotting Xfinity race. He was supposed to spot the truck race, or spot in the truck race. Supposed to spot the Xfinity race. He left to come to the hospital. Um, you know, everybody that showed up. Bobby Roos came down there. Bobby Roos actually brought me fresh clothes. He went to his house and he lives down there um, outside of Auburn. Bought clothes for me to change into because I didn't. All my stuff was still at the track. And uh, we had drove down to Talladega that weekend, and so we were preparing to drive back that night. I guess Dale Jr. heard about. Know, what was going on and offered his plane up and we all hopped in the plane and flew back to Statesville so that was just so kind of him to offer it out there because we had we were gonna drive home that night so it was just cool that everybody reached out and, and the after math of that the weeks after it 
you know, you work so hard in the sport. I mean, I come from pretty humble beginnings of, you know, when I first started on the truck series with Mike Carmen and Mike gave me an opportunity to go race, it was a struggle to get the track every week, you know. It was a it was a victory for us just to get here, you know, every week. So to fight through all that and fight through all the races and fight everything we did to get to where we were running more competitive with our truck stuff to now have our Xfinity team, you hope that along the way people respect what you're trying to do. And I've always tried to, you know, do everything I do with integrity, do the right thing, the best of my ability. I mean, they're, trust me, I've made plenty of mistakes along the way, but I've tried to learn from them and do better the next time. So you just hope that people respect that and, and appreciate and, and like you. You know, it's a very competitive sport, so everybody's not always going to like you, especially as a driver. Um, but you just hope, for the most part, people like what, what it is you're doing and respect what you're, what you're trying to do. And the amount of people that reached out, called, text, people that I hadn't talked to in years, people I didn't know that knew who I was, reached out, you know, offered, you know, condolences, prayers, um, you know, well wishes. And that was the coolest part of seeing. I mean, I got probably 1,500 text messages in a week after that whole deal and seeing everybody on Twitter and Facebook that reached out. So it was pretty humbling um, to see all that and to feel that. And that was fuel to push through all that stuff to get better and get back healed up. And, you know, to be at Martinsville, a few weeks later, I came up for just the race, um, and everybody came up and spoke to me. was was pretty cool. So, you know, thankfully, you know, about 90% healed up now through all that stuff, and pretty crazy to look back through it all. You know, I mean, that's uh, the burns were, were pretty wild to get through. You know, I got a concussion. That was one thing I really didn't talk about much through it. I got a concussion through it. Um, you know, when I got thrown out, I guess from a whip flash, and that was that was almost as bad as the burns because it was like. Uh, like maybe an invisible injury that I got because I remember coming home that night, slept the next day, and then that Monday, um, just laid on the couch, watched TV, tried to relax a little bit, looked at my phone, and then that night, 9, 10 o'clock, I felt like my head was going to explode. Went back to the emergency room that night, that Monday after the incident, and did much tests, and that's when we found out that, you know, had the pretty serious concussion, some other stuff through that, had gotten um, dehydrated from all the burns and everything that's going on with that. So went to the hospital three or four more times that week for follow-up stuff, trying to follow up, figure out what was going on there. And the concussion stuff was just frustrating. I, I probably had some over the years, but that one there was one that it just took me a couple weeks to get back to where I was fully functional through some of that stuff. And that was something that wasn't too fun to deal with, you know, just trying to process and get back to speed. All right. Simple things like trying to type on a computer or phone and what you're trying to do and think you do is not adding up to what's popping up on the screen. So. Thankfully, worked through all that stuff, but just um, very humble and thankful to everybody that you know reached out and all the prayers and everything. I just feel very humble that you know, I'm a big faith guy, and I feel like that God had a reason for that happening and bringing me through it. And that's just added to the to the testimony of you know where we're at, what's going on now, and you know with the team growing the way it is, it's incredible. I mean, it really like last week in Phoenix, they qualified 15th and 16th to have both of our cars that high up on the grid was was so cool. Daytona finishing fourth and 11th. That was amazing. So this was a big jump of uh, leap of faith to do, go to two this year. But Jeb and Parker have done a phenomenal job. They listen. They see the big picture of what we're trying to grow here, and they respect the importance of you know brand cars on the one piece, and we can make it better the following week. And they see the big picture of what we're trying to do here. They both have, have been really awesome with that, and they're both racers. So it's been fun to work with them, and you know the itch is still there for me to run. Everybody's like, when do you get back in the truck or the car and all this stuff? And, you know the I've kind of had to take my desires and kind of put them on, I don't want to say my desires, but, you know, my race career, put it on hold to grow this team. This is something that's bigger than where I thought it was going to go. You know, eventually, who knows where it could go, but I started this team in 2018 just as a way for me to race. And it's evolved into, you know, 20-plus guys working in the shop, you know, Jeb and Parker making, you know, their career and the opportunities they have and all the sponsors involved. So it's just kind of crazy to see how much it's grown. But, it's uh, it's pretty crazy to see where it started and, and what it might grow to, the opportunities that are out there. But I've still got the itch. I've uh, impact maybe another suit this year. I've got another helmet sitting in the shop. So don't know when that race will be. I would love to get back to, to Daytona or Talladega. And I love the, the speedway races and maybe pick a couple short tracks and, and be able to run those. The cool thing is, at least I know when I go race, I'll have some good equipment to go run in and be able to knock the rust off. So you know, I want to get back to just being able to have some fun. I've got a, a dirt late model I sponsor in South Carolina, helping them out some, so I may hop back in a dirt late model at some point. So, you know, who, who knows where it may go, but uh, it's pretty pretty exciting to see, you know, all we've gone through and where we are today. Do you think that 
at some point you will field another truck race at some point in this year, even if it's not for you. I still got that truck. I still have that truck. Still so got the burnt, the burnt down we, truck? We haven't touched it. We pulled the motor out of it, and um, I've got a storage shop down the road from our main shop, and we rolled it over in the corner and put a cover on it, and it's still sitting there just it came off the racetrack. So, um, you know, I'd actually reached out. I know, uh, I think we'd had some conversation about it going on display somewhere, but it's actually just still sitting there, and it's actually the suspension front clip. It's not in bad shape. It's obviously needs to get blasted, new paint. needs a new A-post four on the body, but that truck was fast. That was a truck that I finished second with in Daytona both those years. I think it finished sixth in Talladega, 11th year before, and then it was running as good as we were there. So like, man, if, if we have some time this year to go through that truck, it'd be really cool to take it back to Talladega later this year. So I wouldn't write that one off the uh, potential uh, list of things to do. Gotcha. You, you mentioned that 90% of you is healed. What's the 10% that's still being healed right now? Just uh, just a couple of the, the burns and stuff that, you know, on my neck. Sorry, I messed y'all's interview No, you're all good. Was that you? What happened? I got excited. I was watching late no, was, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, this is something big. There was a huge crash. Oh, was there? Yeah. Well, that'll be a sidebar. Yeah, so <laughs> thank you for all the concussion stuff sealed up, but I just still got some stuff on my neck and arm that just probably have some scars there for a while. So I may try to go back to the hospital. They got some laser stuff to help with some of that stuff, but just a few spots still like to try to get through. But thankfully, everything on my face part is, is pretty good for the most part. So pretty, pretty, pretty thankful that's really all it is, though. I hate to go back to it, but. You already mentioned that you know you had to you had to shave again. You had to disgustingly pull the skin yep. the skin off at some points. Can you give me a little bit more detail of your recovery? Like what was first? What happened next? Like what was the, kind of the schedule of your recovery? Yeah, I mean that just uh, my wife. She was an all star through that whole process because I was not one to do any of it. She's like, all right, you're, here's what we're doing. Here's here's what the doctor said we're doing today, and she she's. She's a lot like her dad in that she's, she's she makes her points and she goes through it. She follows through. You know, I'm very easy going, go by the seat of my pants, but she's very scheduled to the point on the time. We went through all that stuff and just keeping it clean was the biggest thing. Keeping it clean, keeping the appointment on it. Um, there's a picture somewhere I sent to, to my dad of like, you know, <laughs> trying to pull the skin off, using scissors to pull it off and just stuff like that. So tried to find some, some humor in it somewhere to just kind of deal with everything that was going on. So it just was a, was quite a process to get through all that stuff, but had a great group of, of doctors that gave us you know, steps and routines on what to do. And um, my mom and dad and Kendall's parents were there. Um, pretty cool old people that came. We didn't, we didn't have to grocery shop for about a month after that from all the food people dropped off at our house. But uh, yeah, just quite a process of getting, keeping that stuff clean. That's the biggest thing. And just, um, so that was the biggest thing. I was just trying to make sure it stayed clean. Well, Jordan, finally, I know you already mentioned that you want to think about maybe running a truck later this year. It, at, probably at Talladega, whatnot. Is there any chance we could see you maybe building a third car in the Xfinity Series? Like I know you said you got the itch to, yeah. to get back in. Yeah, no, we've we've got the we got the third hauler now, and we've got some equipment. I just want to make sure that we put the main focus on 27 and 31 right. it's got to get up and off the ground good and if uh, I joke with Jeff Margaret if you guys get through uh, Daytona with two cars one piece I may I may go around Daytona you know <laughs> this summer and that was the first thing both of them said like all right boss we got you gotcha. got your cars now so that's uh, that's one thing we kind of talked about there in the shop but again the main focus is keeping these two teams with the inventory and the parts they have and if the opportunity is there for us to do it 100% uh, you may see me pop back out in there don't know what number is going to be but um, it'd be cool to go out there and race with these guys and have some fun with them. Well, finally, it, what's it like working with Parker and Jeb? Jeb, we just heard, is super excited. Uh, very obviously, he's very yeah. excited about, I guess it's a late mall race he's driving, but Parker is a young talent. He, he seems to be just one of those up-and-coming guys that kind of flew under the radar, but now he's here in the Xfinity Series. What's it like having those guys drive yeah. for you? It's cool. So, Jeb, we've actually got Andrew Patterson that works for us in the shop. Andrew's been working with me for two and a half years now, and Andrew is now driving Jeb's late model. Um, the race up at South Boston today, Andrew's making his debut in a late model driving a 31 car up there, so it's pretty cool how small the world it is that Andrew had the opportunity to go race for Jeb. And Jeb is, uh, you know, he's a wild card. I love I love working with him. He's lots of energy, lots of, you know, passion to, to succeed, and he hustles. Like, I, I appreciate how hard he works on all his sponsorship stuff. I see see a lot of what I fight, what I went through, and what he's doing, and what he's got. He does a great job 
and all the relationships that he builds with sponsors and how hard he works to be here every week. So seeing that firsthand, I really, really love that and appreciate that about him. And he's a great shoe. I mean, at every, every lap, he's given it 110%. And uh, Parker, you know, he's he's just a natural talent. You know, you know, great opportunity with Funkaway coming in to sponsor him and put a full season together. And um, I forget sometimes he's 19 years old. I'm like, man, what are you doing here? And I forget he's 19, you know. But it's, it's so cool because we've got, like, Jeb, veteran Parker the rookie the best of both worlds working together they both get along really well which is awesome to see and I really pushed hard for them to do that for them to talk to each other pick each other's brains so you know, really thankful I got two two good guys that are working together to, to make this thing happen but they're both very talented uh, both their setups are pretty similar um, which has been a big help you know Shane Whitbeck crew chief for 31 is with Jeb on the 27 we've got Josh Graham this is his first year crew chief with Parker, so we got two rookies paired up together, working together, and they both have synced really well. So that's the big thing: is this uh, this this team doesn't exist without good people, and I'm very thankful that I got a great group of guys that really work their tails off in the shop, a lot of heart and soul into this team, and, and see the big picture. Like they're not just building race cars; they're building race cars above and beyond what's expected of them because they're just as hungry as I am to to see this thing succeed, and they realize what it takes to get to the next level. And, all these guys push for that level as well. They expect nothing but excellence. And, you know, we keep doing that every week. Keep showing up with that same, you know, that same quality in our cars and our equipment. Eventually, we're just going to keep, you know, taking a notch up that way. And it's not like we stepped in and, and bought it. You know, we're we're figuring out a lot of stuff along the way, kind of doing it a little bit of on our own to a degree. But it's uh, it's pretty cool when you just see your stuff run good. And hopefully, we can just keep learning. This is a big learning year for us. And, you know, I admit there's times where. The learning curve is shorter and sometimes it's longer, but you know, we're just going to keep showing up and chipping away at it. Well, Jordan, I really appreciate yeah. you taking time to speak thank with you, me man. today. Pre that was excellent. Appreciate Absolutely. It. I wish you luck for the rest of this year. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jordan. Once again, big thanks to our guest. And also, big thanks to this guy right here, Mr. Big Haas, Mr. Jared Haas, at the real Jared Haas. Jared, my friend, you're going to be in this racetrack one of the most beautiful racetracks probably in the world circuit of the americas third time that all three series are going to be their third time ever that nascar is going to be there let's dive into the history first year monsoon second year sunny third year up in the air with that being said um your overall thoughts on what we what stands Coda out from the other five road courses on this Cup Series schedule? I think obviously it's it's I've been there before and it's it's definitely a beautiful track and it seems like it's out in the middle of nowhere. You think this is just good old Texas Plains? And I rolled up. I remember going to the credential office, driving from there to the track. You're tra passing by like you know trailers. You're passing by like houses that are like. Is there a racetrack really lodged into this into this space and in in that size too? And sure enough, there is, sure is a racetrack in there. And I mean, there is some quite a bit of elevation changes, quite a lot of tight turns, and you know, it's type of track where it's kind of more of a Formula One track. And you're kind of seeing that we've kind of seen that overlay with like IndyCar going to NASCAR tracks. Well, this is NASCAR going to Formula One tracks. And let me tell you, going up turn one does not do a justice of how steep of a climb it is to go up to that track <laughs> until you're there in person. It is I. It is a climb to get up from basically start finish line all the way up to the apex. Let me tell you that I've walked that before and it is definitely a climb, but it is definitely one of those tracks that's it's very beautiful. And I'll tell you this, it's weird being at a road course and being at a race and the cars are on the other side of the track. And you hear nothing on pit road except the platter on pit road. You don't hear the cars at all with how big this track is. Jared, let's dive into the biggest news probably of this upcoming week. And it's the star power. I mean, the 2007 Formula One champion, Kimi Raikkonen. Formula One superstar, Jensen Button. You had uh, supercar star, Jordan Taylor. Oh, yeah. Have I forgotten seven-time champion and Jimmy Johnson? And then uh, all-around podcasts, uh, reality TV, IndyCar driver, Connor Daly. I mean, this group is getting more and more stacked. Have we ever, ever had this 
much of a stacked lineup going into the first road course of the season. Two Formula One guys, a seven-time champion, and then a sports car uh, star. Uh, can you? Uh, how can you comprehend? How can you just digest <laughs> what I just said? Because I'm speechless, my friend. I. I feel more comparative to like 2007, 2008 when we had quite a few of that indie war, indie car open wheel invasion when you had you know Sam Hornish, Dario Franchitti, Juan Pablo Montoya, very decorated drivers come in, and there was a, there was just a buzz about that situation of these drivers, and again there's a buzz in the situation especially with F1's ratings, you know climbing up from where it was a few years ago. You having two former F1 champions, you having Jordan Taylor as well. And obviously you're having the return of Jimmy Johnson. That's always going to do a lot. And it's going to be interesting to see how these drivers are going to compete with our series of regulars, especially on a road course. Sometimes there's just things that just come out of right field. They're like, that really just happened. And I mean, these, this is really a stardom field that we haven't really seen since Daytona 500. No, we haven't. I mean, like I said, two Formula One guys. Yeah, Connor Daly, IndyCar star, supercar star, and a uh, sports car star in Jordan Taylor. And then, oh, yeah, seven-time champion and Jimmy freaking Johnson. I mean, let's let's be honest. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Jared, though, let's dive back into last year's race. First sunny race, I should say, of the uh, Echo Park Texas Grand Prix. And what an absolute thrilling finish it was between colleague between Trackhouse and between Hendrick Motorsports, Alex Bowman, AJ Chastain battling it out. Four lead changes on uh, the two-lap final overtime. AJ Bowman, they battle it out. Chastain moves Almondinger, and Chastain gets his first-ever win in the NASCAR Cup Series. He gets his first-ever win for Justin Marks as an owner, and Trackhouse's first-ever win it was a lot of firsts, and even though that was there was celebration for Chastain, you saw the disappointment and the anger from from AJ. I think all three of these guys are going to be in the mix, but I mean, last year was so so special. So how can how how will they be able to reciprocate this that type of craziness, that type of action, that type of uh, just emotion on this upcoming Sunday from last year? It's simple. Line them up and race again. Well, I mean, that's okay. That's the simple answer to that. But I feel like there's a few other storylines that were forgotten about this weekend. Obviously, Trackhouse Ross Chastain was was rolling in Dakota with some momentum, and I think he was he had a streak of like four top fives. And this is where he kind of put Trackhouse Racing on the map of hey, this is kind of a serious team. And you look at who was the uh, pole sitter. Excuse me, the outside pole sitter for this race, Daniel Suarez led 11 you know he led laps last year led 15 laps and kind of faded towards the end but he still won the first he won his rate first career race at Affinion a couple you know a couple weeks later so I think this is something where Trackhouse can take advantage of this score some of their wins but I still want to give props to Christopher Bell I mean he finished third you remember what happened at the Roval? Christopher Bell won that race. He's a sneaky little road course racer. Um, you know, you some of these people you don't really give props to until you realize you get a deeper look into the results sheet and be like, Christopher Bell. And if I recall, he had a problem during that race, too. I think he had a steering problem. He had to come all the way back and he somehow finished in third. So pretty impressive with Christopher Bell. Obviously, Chastain, Almendinger are still going to be favorites here at Coda. But when you have those drivers mixed in as well with mixed in as the uh, with those Formula One champs and <laughs> Connor Daly and Jimmy Johnson, you're going to have storylines galore to follow. And it's going to be fun and chaotic to cover this race. Jared, I want a guy in mind for Sunday, that being Daniel Suarez. Like you said, he won stage one last year, ended up I think he had some type of gear suspension. I, I forgot what it was, ended up having to settle for 24th. Although on the lead lap, disappointing after leading 15 laps, but he did get one playoff point, which did help him down the road. So keep an eye on that number 99 car for Trackhouse. Uh, Jared, let's dive into some guys to watch for. Who are you going to be keeping your eye on um, this upcoming Sunday that potentially could get a uh, solid finish, maybe even a top 10? Well, I've mentioned quite a few of them. I obviously mentioned Christopher Bell. He was going to be my first one. Um, kind of something that was going to be under the radar pick. Obviously, I'm going to pick AJ Amidinger. This is his you know this is his bread and butter type of track 
and last year, I don't want to call AJ Allmendinger a, a sort a hard loser, but he is a determined race car driver and he wants to win. And when he's in position to win, he beats himself a little bit, but he's definitely a determined race car driver. And that's why for he's had such a longevity of career is he's still determined. But this is the type of track where, you know, Bachman, I wouldn't be surprised, pencils him in to win this race at Coda. So I'm watching the 16, I'm watching the 20, and then i got to be respectively. Alex Bowman, did we even forget about? I feel like he was in that cluster between Chastain and Almendinger, between them, but Bowman was in contention as well, too. And like I said, he was the points there before that penalty, really consistent for so i expect alex bowman probably to score another top 10 barring any issues all right jared let's dive into our race picks here like we do each and every single week let's do a dark horse as well as our race pick um jared i will say this actually i mean i'm just thinking of this as a flop on the fly how about this out of how many let's see there's kimi jensen jordan jimmy connor out of the five special ones which driver is going to have the best finish out of those five? I have a feeling with uh, Jensen Button. And I think they've, you know, <laughs> even last year with Joey Hand, um, ran decent with, he seemed like he had speed, especially during practice with the Rick Rare Racing. Obviously, this is going to be a little bit more prepared for Stuart Haas's racing team. But I think Jensen Button will be the best of those quote-unquote special entries, you know, those one-time ordeals. But I do have a dark horse in mind. Okay, go for it. And it's in the Ford camp as well. Um, he's kind of known with the Super uh, super Speedway prowess and road course prowess. And I'm going with a guy who finished seventh here in 2021, finished 13th here last year. I'm going with Mike McDowell. He's a good underdog picked here for Circuit of the Americas. For my question, I'm going to go with the guy that is trying to become the second driver to win multiple races at Coda. The other one being Ross Chastain. Kimi Raikkonen has won at Coda before. He won the 2018 Pirelli United States Grand Prix when he was driving for Scuderia Ferrari, uh, leading 39 out of the 56 laps. Obviously, Chase Elliott is not running this week because of his injury, and then Ross Chastain being the other one. I think Kimi, honestly, I think Kimi can get a top 10. He's got a fantastic car. Both the team track house boys have won in at road courses. Suarez at uh, what you call it, Infineon, Sonoma, whatever, at Sears Point. I mean, there's plethora of different names for that road course. Obviously, Ross last year. So I think Kimi can get a top 10. If that's not a good dark horse for you, I don't I don't know if you consider this guy a dark horse, but um, we all thought that Austin Cendrick was going to get his first win on a road course. That obviously did not happen because he won the Daytona 500, but he did finish in the eighth position last year in this race. Watch out for that number two car. He was in contention for the win at Atlanta. All three boys from Penske were battling for the win, ended up with his elder statesman of a teammate in Joseph Logano Jr. the third. Um, but I digress. With that being said, my pick to win, though, um, I'm going to go with Kimi Räikkönen's teammate. And it's not Ross Chastain, big hoss. Daniel Suarez, my friend, they're going to be going crazy about 400 miles in a monetary Mexico. It's about six hours away from Austin, Texas. Uh, I was reading his uh, his track advance that track house sends all the media people each and every single week i'm picking the number 99 car he won stage one did fall back had some type of issue i i, I do i don't remember so i apologize there but i'm gonna go with the number 99 car jared i think he gets the job done wins his first race of the season you that is a pretty good pick i Thank mean you. track Thank house you. is gonna be strong with the road course i mean i'm I, I like to tend to go with AJ Allmendinger, but I think a dark horse winner is going to be Tyler Reddick. Ooh. He's had a really kind of dismal start. He finished well last weekend, even though he had a stomach bud, had John Hunter Nemechek stand by. But I think Reddick, this was where at the time was, when is Reddick going to win his race? And this is when he was starting to ramp it up with Richard Childress Racing, obviously was scuttled out late of a race, but... I, th I think A.J. Allmendinger is going to be there, but I think Reddick is going to be something you're going to look out for. If you're looking for someone to win outright and you want someone that's a little bit dark horse, Tyler Reddick's going to be your man. Jerk? 
Let's wrap up shop, go to the checkered flag and wrap it all up, brother. Checkered flag, here I come. Oh no! We are waving that white and black checkered flag, not the green ones end of the stage. We are entering the checkered flag portion of the program. Jared, you know the deal. You've been on before. I don't have to remind you. Whatever is on your mind, whatever you want to rant, rave, or anything between, Jared Haas, floor is yours. I'll have to say thank you, NASCAR, for listening what's going on with the stage races this weekend. We will have stage points awarded this weekend, but we will not have the caution flag, which is a good, like I said, round of applause for NASCAR to at least listen to that step. Those stages added extra caution laps, slowed the race pace down. And what we've seen with extra cautions, <laughs> perfect example, last week in Atlanta between the Xfinity and Cup race, you don't want to be there as much longer as you can. So, And this plus gives strategy to be a little bit more developed where your lead car obviously can predict when the cautions come out. There's a little less predictability with this uh, strategy here. So there's more likely where you can have some oddball strat pitch strategy come off the wall but this gets two thumbs up from me for NASCAR implementing this rule change. When you go to a racetrack, you think of the dreaded R word. No, not retire. No, not restrictor plate. But yes, rain. And I'm looking at the forecast this weekend and Tuesday, light rain. Wednesday, light rain. Thursday, light rain. Friday, moderate rain. Chance of precipitation, 100%. I'm looking at Sunday and the chance of precipitation is at 20%. I think everybody and their mother will agree we don't want to have a repeat of what happened in 2021 where people were driving so far out of their ass that they were ramming into someone that, that you couldn't see from me to Big Hoss right here on our Zoom call. It was absolutely, in words of Denny Hamlin's podcast, actions detrimental to all parties involved. Now, is it going to be like this thunderstorm skelorton? I don't think so. It's probably just a light mist, moderate rain. It's not going to be anything uh too crazy friday may be a little different what's going to happen with practice are they gonna are they gonna do something different i want i want nascar to be on the side of caution we saw what happened at daytona and they weren't in a wreck three-fourths of the field we saw that they were cautioned with i think it was at phoenix or not phoenix it was at fontana and they they were on the side of caution you know what massive props to them what are they going to do on Friday and then Sunday? Because Saturday's clear skies, high 79. That is the biggest thing that it is going to be keeping my eye on this weekend. How is NASCAR going to be with this rain? Because you can race. You got rain tires for a reason, especially at road courses. The visibility and the safety of the drivers is going to be the biggest thing for me. Once again, big thanks to our guests for coming on to the program. Once again, you can follow me on Twitter at the Brian Owen. You can follow my man, the one that has the crazy stats. You know him. It, it is my man, Mr. Real Jared Haas. Big Haas, you are going to be covering this race at Coda. Who's going to be with you? What are you going to be doing? I want all the latest scoop, brother. Tell it to us and our and our listeners, bro. Well, we are going to be having three reporters down here, including myself at planning to be down there at Circuit of the Americas. Obviously, myself, I'm going to be flying in, not going to be there for the Friday coverage, but I'm going to be there Saturday and Sunday. We're going to have our own Stephen Stump is going to be there as well, as well as our one of our newer writers, Justin Wyatt Watson. He's going to be there as well. And we're excited. We like I said, we almost need three people to cover what's going on in this NASCAR garage for how much newness is going on and how many different drivers are going in there. So he will have three reporters to watch out for this weekend at Circuit of the Americas. Once again, at Real Jared Haas, at Frontridge, and YouTube.com slash Frontridge every single, is it Wednesday, Jared, or Thursday that it comes out? It comes out Wednesday night, and Wednesday make night. sure to get your questions in. We ask those right. in the comments. And like I said, these questions are asked by the YouTube users ourselves. I love it. Absolutely love it. YouTube.com slash front stretch. That's all you got to do. Front stretch. Just think of where Josh Williams parked his car. And there you go. 
For Mr. Jared Haas and everybody associated with the program, next week, I'm pretty sure we're going to have the boss man come on the program, Mr. Tom Bull. Yes, folks, the boss man. I got to be on my best behavior. Okay, let's be honest. I'm never on my best behavior, but it's going to be fun with Mr. Bulls. We're going to be recapping Coda, previewing Richmond, everything in between. So for Mr. Jared Haas, I'm Brian Timmons. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next week.